How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me slash growth. That's hbs.me slash growth. You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name. Joining me, as always, is my good friend Frank Men. Frank, how are you doing on this wonderful – actually, I don't know if it's wonderful for you, but it is sunny and nice here in Milwaukee. Um, how, how's everything for you on this Sunday afternoon? Things are going well, and we I feel like we have a surprisingly large amount of ground to cover today in the world of Milwaukee Bucks basketball, despite the fact that obviously the Bucks aren't playing. There shouldn't be a ton of news in the grand scheme of things unless, obviously, you look through it through the lens of the GM stuff. But um, GM stuff, the block party was yesterday. Sounded like that was a good time. Some announcements, um, especially around a game at the Mecca next season. The Wisconsin Herd G League team name was revealed since the last time we talked. So I there, feel like we have a lot there's of, a lot of cover. Ad, I mean, There's a lot of administrative stuff, which is kind of yeah. strange. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm 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 looking at our list here and I'm thinking, man, I'm actually have to be succinct for the first time in my life. So we'll <laughs> see how we'll see how that goes. Today's episode is brought to you by our good friends at SeatGeek. Use the promo code L O B U C K S for a twenty dollar rebate on your first SeatGeek purchase. Again, that's L O B U C K C K S and shout out to our good friends at SeatGeek. So um I guess let's start with the GM stuff. Um, obviously we're trying to figure out, (laughs) it's difficult to know when things are happening, who they're happening with and and all of those things. Um, I wrote a little bit about it and then interestingly enough, Peter Fagan at, uh, the block party mentioned something that kind of contradicted something I'd reported. So, um, I guess let's start there. Um, I reported that, uh, a decision ex- is expected within the next week. I wrote that on Friday, um, and that kind of matches with the timeline that I've heard uh, that a decision would be made in the next week. Peter Fagan mentioned, I, I believe it was to just the the pool of reporters there, um, that, okay, maybe, maybe it won't be. Maybe it, it will happen after the draft. And I guess let's start there. The timeline, Frank, that would not make any sense to me. Uh, letting letting Justin Zanuck go through the draft, which is now, let's see, 11 days away on June 22nd. So letting Justin Zanuck run the draft and then all of a sudden decide to go in a different direction, um, I, I can't say that I, I would understand that. Well, I think the argument would be it's 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 too late to do anything. It's too late to have somebody else parachute in and really effectively lead the draft at this point. You know, like so much of the draft is the groundwork is laid during the season, right? Leading up to, you know, really the, the last month or two is, is sort of just the, you know, I don't know if I'd say the, putting the finishing touches on it because obviously there's a lot that happens as far as interviews and, you know, in personally and workouts, things like that. But, um, but you know, you, you can't, I mean, and, and I think the Bucks. You know, as Bucks fans, we saw that in 2008, right when um, John Hammond showed up. Um, I think in end of right after the season ended, mid-April probably, and then um, a couple months later, the Bucks pick 
uh, <laughs> Joe Alexander, which of course went down as the um, the worst pick thus far, worse than the Rashad Vaughn pick since that was uh, the eighth overall pick um, in the draft. So I think it's hard to expect anybody to come in even with like a month left in this in before the draft and really, yeah. you know, lead a process. Um, I mean, I guess you could make an argument that if you hired somebody who was at a similar spot in the draft, like, you know, Arturis Karnasovas from Denver. I mean, you know, in theory, this is a guy who's been doing, you know, he's been an assistant GM. He's been doing all this stuff. He knows a lot about the draft. But I think we talk about somebody coming in and actually driving to a decision. That's a very different thing, right? I mean, that's, that's not really like a scouting decision so much as a management decision in a large, in a broader sense of, you know, factoring all the, the, the voices in the room and, you know, your whole staff and, and driving to some kind of decision that everybody feels good about ownership as well, right? I mean, ownership, you know, obviously wants to know the rationale for a pick, even if they're not making it. So uh, on the one hand, it's kind of like, you know, bringing in a guy as a GM after the draft and having that guy not even be a part of the draft, obviously on some level, it's kind of like, well, geez, if I was getting hired, I would I would at least want to know, have some kind of input into that. But on the flip side, um, from like a process standpoint, I mean, at this point, it's almost too late even to to really, I think, have a sort of transition that would make any sense. And it would, I think, by nature, be chaotic, especially given, um, you know, we're talking <laughs> yeah. about, we're, we're, if, you know, and I, I mean, I'm still hoping slash expecting Justin Zanuck to be the GM of this team even after sort of the this process completes but um and and this kind of feeds into also reporting you did end of last week which i thought was very interesting and maybe confirmed some of the fears we had about at least one of the candidates um but certainly if 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 it isn't just in Zanuck, then you know if that person came in then who knows what would even happen um as far as other people in the organization and you know what kind of upheaval might might follow bringing in a, a new person so I guess there really isn't a good time to bring in a new general manager in the summer. You know, like the, yeah. you know, I, I don't know when I don't know when a good time to, to 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 start is. I mean, I think it's just generally, you know, as soon as possible. I guess you could argue, but at this point, with so little runway ahead of the draft, um, you know, I think for, especially from an ownership standpoint. I mean, keep in mind, John Hammond's job was not altogether secure in 2014 um, when they when the new ownership did come in and they basically just let that process go through the draft and then really wasn't until after the draft that um, it seemed like you know there was more of a decision made to just sort of stick with John Hammond moving forward so um, I don't know if I would say parallels because obviously at this point you know John Hammond has departed uh, you're not just sort of sticking with a group um, and and making a decision as as to whether it's final and, and whether that's the group you're gonna go forward with but um, so not entirely parallel but certainly uh, I think the easy thing is is to just sort of stick with you know the infrastructure you've got with with Justin Zanuck and Billy McKinney and Dave Babcock and all those guys and um, you know just just let them run it out because again i don't even know what would happen if you hired somebody else at this point yeah and and i think that's part of the interesting stuff too was i had reported that i had a couple sources tell me that zanuck is obviously running things now and you would think okay well he's running things that's great is he is he doing well are they surviving like you're going through a period of upheaval and everything i've heard suggests that not only is he handling it that they're excelling and they're they're doing everything that that they need to do they're doing it well and i I think maybe that that could be a bit of a surprise as someone who who didn't have i guess 
really any time to prepare. Uh, rather, I mean, obviously, Zanuck was probably thinking, okay, maybe there's a possibility that Hammond leaves, but still, like, the, you're not thinking, okay, I need to take over tomorrow, and that and that's what he's done. And it sounds like in these two weeks he's excelled. So um, I thought that was interesting with Zanuck. Um, taking a look at the other two candidates and just stuff I had reported about him. Um, let's go with. We'll start with Karnasovas. Um, Everything I heard about him uh, was just generally well respected, sharp guy, um, but doesn't really have the the experience of the other two finalists, and um, that may be strange to say with with Zanuck, who hasn't been a, a lead GM anywhere else. Um, but at the same time, Zanuck was an agent for 15 years before becoming assistant GM with the Jazz, and then uh, obviously becoming assistant GM with the Bucks. And uh, I guess the interesting thing with Karnasovas, he finished as the runner-up last year to Sean Marks in Brooklyn. Um, So this is a guy that I think around the league a number of people have been impressed with. But ultimately, I just don't think he he would have the experience necessary for the job. Well, it's interesting because, I I mean, if being a GM was just being a scout or, or, you know, being a scout who gets to make final decisions, then – you know, a guy like Karnasovas, I think you can you can certainly make a good case for, right? Now, I'm sure you know he's he's got much broader you know experience set than just running around Europe and and scouting for players. And obviously, the, the Nuggets have done very well on that front with Nikola Jokic and you know Yusuf Nurkic and and others. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean he you know he's an assistant GM, so I mean the guys like this typically have some gaps in in their resume. Um, I think you know the thing that we don't really have much sense of is you know negotiations um really being all into the details of the cap and you know trading and moving you know all the sort of like intricate details of of being a gm and obviously a big piece of that is also just managing an entire staff and an entire basketball operations organization which um you know again we we look at gms through the lens of well who do they trade who do they sign and who do they draft um but there is much more that goes into it than that and there's a lot more that goes into making good decisions on those fronts versus just that guy sitting, you know, in a, in a, in a big leather chair and saying like, I want that guy. I want that guy. I'm going to trade this guy for that guy. Right. And, and that's sort of, I mean, as fans, that's how I kind of view it. But, um, certainly there's, there's more to it than that. And again, I mean, Karnasov is not to say he, he wouldn't be able to do that, but, um, there's probably some, some gaps in between his resume where we're just not sure. Right. We don't, we don't know. Um, and I think certainly, for for somebody like Zanuck, you know, the negotiating side, we, we know from people we talk to, we know from, you know, even his resume, we know that the negotiating side obviously is something he's well suited to. Um, obviously, you know, the, the analytics, the draft stuff, I mean, we've heard things about that. You know, he ran the D-League team when when uh, he was in Utah. Um, and now he's doing it here in this organization, right? So he's, he's obviously having to manage, um, you know, the process and the preparations for the summer um, right now. So I think there's a, obviously there's a data set now on, on him through that as well and you know he's a he's a known quantity so um but <laughs> i guess the probably the you know karnasovas probably was the the the, the less interested least interesting guy from from the three you wrote about probably the one we know the least about as well obviously um and speaking of sort of management and the importance of management it the word manage is in the title general manager so you know it's pretty important um the guy who did not come off looking that well in in your report is also the guy who we were, uh, I don't know, to put it charitably, skeptical of coming into this whole process, even before he was named a finalist. And certainly it sounds like nothing that you discovered uh, about Wes Wilcox suggested anything different. And to be honest, I was kind of surprised it was as 
I don't know, sort of universally bad, bad as, as it was. Yeah, it was interesting just as I as I talked to people around the league that there, there was a really when you talk to them, they, w- they wouldn't necessarily uh, have any concerns about Wilcox from the basketball side. And, and like you said before, when you're talking about Karnasovas, that, OK, you have an eye for talent and you pick out players and you figure out how you're going to put a roster together. That's part of it. And, and I think most people I talked to said, yeah, I, there's a, a very good chance that he could be totally fine in that regard, that uh, he does see the game pretty well. And, and that's a good thing. But there's also kind of a, a people side to being a general manager. Like you said, it's in it's in the title, management. And there, there was just a lot that I heard that he struggles to manage relationships both inside and outside of his organization. Uh, there's times where he can be difficult to deal with and he, he struggles to maintain the connections that he needs with agents, um, with people in his organization, with people in other organizations that across all these different these different platforms, I guess, that he struggles with with those relationships, and and like you said, that's that's a big part of this job. Um, it, it's not something that I think you really think about a lot, um, but it, it is a lot of it that you're managing a larger group of people, and you need the respect of those people. You need to be able to work with those people. You need to have good relationships with those people, and that again and again, that that was something that I've heard that he has struggled with, and uh, I, I guess that to me was big. But then, obviously, it was the stuff before we we had talked, and uh, before I, I did some more reporting on this that. He does have the the history of the racially charged joke that is just to me it just seems like bad PR kind of kind of no matter what. And then when you look at how this how this Hawks team has developed since the time that he was named general manager and uh, above him Mike Budenholzer was named president of basketball operations, you've seen this team go in a different direction and obviously there was a ton of reasons why that happened there there was guys that needed to get paid guys that were up as free agents and there was a ton of reasons why but you look at a team that won 60 games and what had what four all-stars five all-stars no it was five all-stars and now four of those five are gone and they they have another big decision to make this summer with Paul Millsap and there's just so much to see that team go from 60 wins down to 48 down to 43 this year um that maybe there are some questions on that side of things as well yeah it'll it'll be interesting to see I mean I think the the stuff about Wilcox I mean we kind of joked when his name was first put out there I mean the only thing we really knew about him as you said he he was not the kind of lead decision maker in Atlanta because Mike Budenholzer was there um, as president. But, um, you know, the only time we had ever heard of him was when he got, you know, put out, you know, and, and called out. And um, internally, it seems like there was some sort of discipline for, um, you know, kind of an off-color joke he made uh, in a team, or, sorry, in a season ticket holders meeting. That was the first time I'd heard of him. And then uh, he gets pushed out of his job entirely um, at the start of this summer. And and so obviously, you know, I think a lot of people um, <laughs> could only think back to, hey, remember the last time the Bucks took, you know, the Atlanta Hawks refuse uh, and and hired them for a key position? You know, Larry Drew, who let's be clear for all his for all his issues as a as a coach and and uh, and whatever else you might say about Larry Drew. No one will ever question Larry Drew's character or what kind of person he is. So let's be clear about that. But Certainly, Larry Drew was a guy the Atlanta Hawks had no interest in keeping when they hired um, ultimately Mike Budenholzer. He was still under contract. He was in this weird position. The Bucks went out and got him. Um, 
and and this was in 2013. And so obviously, let's just say after reading your article, after hearing just, I don't know, I mean, anybody that I talk to about basketball stuff, nobody hears good things about Wes Wilcox. And um, it was interesting and I would say surprising based on what we've been hearing that Gary Wolfel reported that Wilcox might actually be the front runner after Friday's meeting. So the, the candidates were in town at the end of this week uh, to interview. And, um, you know, Gary Wolfel said that uh, Ed Stefanski was the front runner a few days prior. And then a couple hours later, Ed Stefanski was out of the running. Um, my hope is that the same is true, is true now, that this is just another case of bad information, um, because certainly, yeah, uh, nothing we've heard about Wes Wilcox is, you know, really gives you much reason to think why he's gotten this far in the process to begin with. I mean, he's, uh, again, like, is it just coming in? I mean, it's kind of hard to see it, tell, like, with these processes, like, what what gets you to the final round, right? I mean, obviously, resume is important, um, uh, you know, having some, something to fall back on. But certainly, I mean, they do background checks on these guys, mm-hmm. right? Like, you ask around, like, well, especially with a guy who's gotten basically fired, like, well, why did he get fired? You know, like, did anybody... Did people not like working with him? Oh, okay, that's important. That would make you not want to hire a guy, yeah. um, especially if you're not looking to burn down your existing basketball operations department. Which obviously, if you brought in a guy like Wes Wilcox, I don't, I don't know. Do people, you know, would there be a immediate, um, you know, just exodus of, of people? And uh, what would that mean for the Bucks? And you know, what about this guy? Are you pinning your hopes on? Did he just come in and you know blow smoke up somebody's ass about like, oh, this team's going to be amazing? We're going to do this, this, and this. I mean. I don't know, right? We don't know really what ownership, sort of how they're judging these guys, but clearly there had to be something because that's how you got to where they are, where these candidates got, right? It was was it was by um, going through basically Rod Thorne and, and ownership through some level of screening there. So, um, so yeah, I normally I don't normally I'm I'm pretty neutral on these sorts of things in the sense of like I I try to acknowledge the many things I don't know about these candidates especially with guys who have not been final decision makers where their resume is kind of hard to judge because they weren't the guys ultimately making the calls but you know with a guy like Wilcox it's like give me one reason why I would ever want this guy to be named the general manager of my favorite basketball team I mean two on paper look really good and you hear that people actually like them and respect them and Justin Zanuck is actually in the organization convincing people of those facts I, I don't know. It's just, I mean, I, I want to give the Bucks the benefit of the doubt and just assume, you know, that we won't be hearing about Wes Wilcox after whenever this decision gets made, hopefully in the next week, as you were saying. But it, it's just kind of a head scratcher. Obviously, you wonder how, how did he get to this point in the first place? Yeah, I think as we've gone through this process, the thing I keep wondering is why? <laughs> <laughs> like, like that that's really where I'm at just because – Everything I've heard about Zanuck is overwhelmingly positive, and he was your guy that you tabbed as the GM in waiting. That when he took this job, he was told like, "Yeah, this is going to be part of a of a succession process here in Milwaukee." And they didn't go any further in the details of is this going to be a one year succession process? Is this a three year succession? They didn't go into any of those details. Um, but as we've heard from Nate Duncan before, that his contract is going to start paying him like a lead decision maker. And you hear all these things, and I, I just can't help but think to myself, why is this process occurring? And I I, I guess. At the start of this, I, I kind of thought of like, oh, okay, well, maybe they'll try to talk to some some of the the bigger candidates and some of the guys that can really make in I don't know make a make a big splash. And 
then I started to think about it. I was like, well, why would those guys leave? And why would they give – why would that team give – that person the ability to talk to the bucks and largely we've seen that hasn't been the case so now as we get further and further into this process i just keep thinking why has this process gone on and why has justin sanic not just been named and tabbed as the next general manager because everything i've heard would suggest that he hasn't done anything wrong since getting to milwaukee that he's he's the guy that they tabbed so why now would that be any different and I guess the only thing I can keep thinking of is maybe they think there's some outside chance at, at a guy like David Griffin, and they would have to wait until the – I think it's the end of the fiscal year. Isn't that how GM contracts work? Um, that they'd have to wait until, what is that, June 30th to be able to talk to him? But, man, that seems like a long time to wait. And also – agency starts july 1st oh and the draft was june 22nd like those seem like very important things yeah it's it's uh it's kind of tough i mean i think part of it my, my thinking was and you know we've heard a lot of talk about this it's just you know you have three principal owners and they essentially you know want to agree on stuff or at least get to two out of three right on on these kinds of decisions and so obviously with something like a general manager you know i mean i could understand the view that well, you know, we thought Justin was going to be the guy, but that was sort of a more of a two year plan. And, you know, eh, as a big decision, this, you know, affects the next however long or I mean, is this is going to affect, you know, your franchise for years, whoever you hire for this job and the decisions they make. So, you know, if you want to say, well, let's let's we can put John Justin in the interim position and then, um, you know, let's just go through the process. Let's just just let's just see. Right. Let's let's take the boxes, make sure, you know, we don't uncover anything. That that makes us totally change our mind. That that would be the I think my reading of this in in sort of a reasonable way. Um, that like okay, I guess that that's you know that that would be an acceptable way to look at it. Even though we've certainly heard a lot of people inside and outside organizations scratching their head that you know you had to get to the point of John Hammond leaving to really think think all those steps through. Um, so look, I'm not going to say that it's a like an entirely uh, we will not go back and look at the last year and say that the Bucks, you know, had a good plan. That we will not do, right? I think we know that. Um, having John Hammond but not really wanting to keep him was kind of weird. Hiring a guy to be, you know, the theoretical heir to that job and then not really apparently being that sure about it, that's not great. That's kind of weird. Um, and now probably going through this process, given those other things, given those other sort of I guess mistakes or lack of planning, then then maybe this is the most rational part of it. But I'm still assuming we're going to get to a rational answer at the end of it. Um, so yeah. if the answer is Justin Zanuck, then I don't think you know. I think we just move on, and I think everybody. I don't think we're going to be talking about this down the road. Um, but if you somehow got to the point of hiring Wes Wilcox, if you know two out of three owners were like, "That's the guy," despite everything that we can gather and obviously we're not we're doing more you know we start we joked how when we first started this that you know we just sort of looked at you know just google west wilcox see, see if you like what you find right that's that you know if that's the guy you want to be associated with but i mean you've gone way beyond that now and actually talking to people around the league who know him and that's even i'd say far more concerning than than you know certainly you know comments and controversies and whatever else that might have preceded him right i mean you, it seems like people who know him would say that, it, that it's not you know, there are people who make just sort of random mistakes and then there are people who you just wouldn't want to hire. And and I don't know, I, I just would be very, very disappointed if that was the decision. And I was actually thinking the other day, I was like, man, 
I guess I would just have to be like openly hostile to the Bucks decision if that was it. Because I, I can't I haven't been able to find anybody who seems to know anything about him who 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 can tell me why why you get to that decision. But anyway, um, I think we know where we stand. And on this, I think we know where people that, that are willing to talk about it stand. And I guess at this point, um, you know, as you said, David Griffin, you know, contracts generally go through the end of the NBA calendar, through the end of the month. Um, and who knows what's going on with that. But we haven't really heard any more indications that, you know, if the season ends for the Cavs on Monday, that, that anything might happen there as well. And um, it, it does seem like for now, on further notice, the decision is going to be being one of the guys that uh, that we've heard mentioned thus far. Well, I think we should move on to our next topic of the day. But before we do that, I do need to remind you that today's episode is brought to you by SeatGeek. Our good friends at SeatGeek, man, they have tickets for everything. They find the best deals for you. They put it all in one place. It's just so easy. And, man, if you're not using it, I just can't really comprehend why and part of the reason it's so easy they find tickets for everything and then they grade them out they let you know where the best tickets are in the arena and i know i was taking a look at tickets for game four uh of the finals because they were saying that it was actually cheaper to to go to cleveland for golden state fans than to buy something for game five and yeah, when I looked at the SeatGeek app, I was looking at ticket prices. I was like, oh, yeah, that is considerably cheaper for Game 4 as opposed to Game 5. And it's just because SeatGeek, again, I'm sure there was some difference there, but the best tickets, SeatGeek was going to find those for you. And the best thing about SeatGeek is our promo code, and you can use that by going to the SeatGeek app, downloading the SeatGeek app, and then going to the settings tab, going to enter a promo code, enter promo code L-O-B-U-C-K-S. Again, that's L-O-Bucks for Locked on Bucks, and you'll get a $20 rebate on your first SeatGeek purchase. So again, that's L-O-Bucks for a $20 rebate on your first SeatGeek purchase. Frank, the other... Again, I I joked earlier that there's a, a ton of administrative news um, this week, and uh, the other big thing was the Bucks. They are going to have a D League team. Well, I guess a G League team. Are we officially? Are we to that part where it's officially G League yet? I'm not sure. Um, but for the next season, it will be a G League team. So their G League team needed a name. They're going to be in Oshkosh, and there was plenty of rumors about, um, let's see, Oshkosh Flyers used to be, a, I think, a CBA team name. Uh, there was the uh, Fox Valley Foxes. I think that was another team. Uh, Fox Valley. Aviators. I think Aviators yep. was thrown out for the, the, the air show and everything like that. Yeah. So, so there were some other things going around, and ultimately they decided on not Oshkosh, not Fox Valley, but instead Wisconsin. And not anything aviation-related, um, not anything, I don't even know what else it could be related to. But they decided to go with, again, Buck's theme, the Wisconsin Herd. Frank, what are your opinions on the team name of the Wisconsin Herd? I know you are very passionate about this. <laughs> uh, it's a name, you know. I. I, I can't I can't summon outrage or excitement over the name. Um, I, I guess it is uh, it is at least consistent with with deer, in the sense that a a group of deer is a herd of deer. Um, so uh, so so yeah, I I, I guess uh, hey, consistency is fine. Um, I think it's kind of cool that they went with Wisconsin instead of a city name. Yep. Uh, um, again, I didn't necessarily feel that strongly about it, um, but 
as someone who I think we've talked about, I think you also your your favorite logo. I think like like me um, is the uh, the state logo that the Bucks have, the alternate state logo. Yeah. Uh, and we've talked a lot over the last couple of years about the Bucks trying to expand their brand and make it more of a statewide type team, which obviously has, has long been um, a challenge and um, you know a lot of reasons for that. But um, you know, shout out to the Bucks for. They're doing doing things like their bus tour around the state, doing the games in Madison. Um, obviously, they've they've done games in, in other parts of the state, especially Green Bay previously. Um, but obviously, it does seem like like trying to to build more of a statewide brand. Even though whatever you know, people in up north aren't going to come down and buy many tickets to games. But um, but obviously, I think from a, a franchise standpoint uh, and and really expanding the footprint of the NBA and the Bucks in particular in, in Wisconsin, um, I think that that's obviously been a priority, and hopefully that's something that continues with with a G League team that um you know maybe, maybe they might not do any more preseason games in, in Green Bay but having a uh, uh a G League team in in Oshkosh is uh, a pretty cool thing to do and um obviously we've we've talked a little bit about you know what that might mean especially from the basketball side as far as potentially having players shuttle back and forth uh now the two-way contracts for the 16th and 17th roster spots uh, players that uh you know can can be aligned with your d league team sorry g league team i'm still catching up um but yeah i think all of that is is infinitely more interesting than the team's name and wisconsin herd i don't know i I, probably my most negative thing is that it always makes me think of of Colin Cowherd and 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 the, the his show his radio show is called like the Herd right mm-hmm. the Herd with Colin Cowherd or something so I don't like Colin Cowherd really so that that association maybe isn't a positive one but um, I don't know I'm I'm not let's just say this I'm not going to be any less interested in the team because of the name um and i i don't know we'll we'll see i guess what the logo what the gear looks like hopefully uh hopefully it makes up for that a little bit my mind went to you heard with purd with purd happily um <laughs> because i'm a big parks and rec guy so uh that was where that was where my mind went and i guess they are now you know the herd uh so i i can i can use some parks and recs puns which i'm pretty generally okay with um i don't know but Part of me is trying to like I understand brand. I don't even know brand awareness, and you want to make sure you have a strong brand and being on brand. And the Wisconsin herd certainly does that, uh, sticking with the deer theme. But part of me just wanted an off the wall, weird, strange G League team name, so I could see weird gear and look at people's sports stuff with weird colors. But this makes, I mean, a lot of sense from. Um, this makes a lot of sense from the Bucks perspective I I mean to me it just is logical that it would be another deer theme it would be Wisconsin and not Oshkosh or Fox Valley and it would be the same colors and everything would all just work together and flow together so um, it's not something I'm particularly uh impassioned about um it's not something that really gets me excited or angers me it does neither of those things it's it's a team name and they're going to exist and them existing is like you said much more exciting than what they are called um let's move on to the next piece of administrative news uh yesterday the Bucks block party happened, and this is the third year, I believe, of the block party. And the first two years had 
I would say relatively big announcements, big things to do, um, where I think the first year was Jersey uh, Jersey unveiling, if I remember yep. correctly. Uh, yep. Second year was Arena Groundbreaking, also pretty big. Uh, so the third year, obviously, it's it's difficult to find two things as big as those things. I, at the start of the week, I was thinking, okay, G League name, that could be – what is unveiled and maybe the logos and jerseys and stuff. Um, and then when we found out midweek that that wasn't happening, I was like, oh, man, I I do not have the slightest idea. Uh, I, I know I was out at Miller Park and uh, Chuck Freeman from uh, 1250 – or excuse me, 1057 FM The Fan uh, had asked me like, Hey, do you know what's going on? Like 50th anniversary? Like what's going to happen with that? Are, are they retiring to Jersey? Are they doing a new number? Like what? What is going on? And I was like, I I have no idea, and I don't have any good guesses. Um, I would have never guessed this one in a million years. Uh, the Bucks next season are going to play a regular season game, not an exhibition game, a regular season game at the Mecca. And I gotta say. It's tough to live up to those other two, but that's a pretty dope idea. Yeah, if they if they can play at the Mecca with the old Mecca floor, which has become its own thing the last few years, um, friend of the podcast, Andy Gorzowski uh, and Ben Collar, you may remember, um, they, they had the – I mean, it really is an art piece. It literally is an art piece. Yeah. It was designed by Robert Indiana, famed pop art um, pioneer, uh, guy who, you know – I feel like I didn't I didn't know much about him when when I first started hearing about the Mecca floor stuff a few years ago. But um, Andy and Ben uh, acquired the the floor, uh, and you know just through some of these random things, and um, you know they they ended up really celebrating, you know, having this uh, event where they were celebrating really the heritage of the Mecca and and Bucks basketball in in the seventies and eighties, and they had the floor set up at the Mecca again. There was an event around that and. Um, it, it's it's so interesting because you know you, you see it um, and it was featured prominently in in the announcement um, uh, on Saturday. It's interesting because it, it isn't team centric, right? Um, it is it is not really you know it doesn't have like a big Bucks logo in the middle. No. Um, it, it's not about that, um, but it does have the you know the, the famous M um, kind of shadow uh, on each side of the court, which obviously was you know inspired the the new floor as well. Um, that that's obviously just sort of a it's it's an iconic thing about the floor and just the way it looks in general. So um, so if they can get that floor in the mecca for this game, um, that would be that would be pretty incredible. Or at least you know make the the floor look like the old floor um, for that one night. I think that would really um, be a cool thing. And again, I mean it's you know it's kind of a novelty thing to do, right? I mean, it's like you wouldn't want to play a whole, a whole season in the Mecca. You wouldn't want to, um, you know, th- there's a reason why we, why things are, have, have been modernized and you're in a newer building and why you're now getting a brand new building. But um, I think for one night to, to you know, sort of um, have an event and, and hopefully bring back a bunch of the key players from, from those days, um, I think it's a cool idea. And I, I don't know, we'll see when they have it, right? I mean, it's... Um, uh, if, if you were doing a pure sort of profit maximization approach, you'd probably have, you know, a Tuesday game um, against the Kings uh, in January as the game for this, because this is the kind of game that you can hopefully sell out. You know, I think what the Mecca holds like 11,000 people or something like that. But 
Um, my, I'm, I'm, I'm quietly hoping that it'll be on a weekend just so I might be able to come back. Cause obviously it seems like it'll be a fun celebration of, uh, of the Bucks 50th anniversary, which, um, I don't know. It felt like just yesterday they were doing the 40th. So, um, time flies and man, I'm getting old. <laughs> um, yeah, it, the first thing I thought of when I heard about it was how is the NBA allowing this? Like, because we all know that the NBA has certain regulations and certain restrictions and certain guidelines that you need to follow as an NBA team to play a game somewhere. And I just would have never thought that they could get through all of those hurdles and hop over them and get it figured out where you could play a game in an arena that is, uh, let's see, when it, it was created in, what, the early 70s, the Mecca? So, um like it's just kind of it's just kind of crazy that the the NBA even thought like yeah no we, we can allow it and I can only imagine all of the the things the Bucks had to go through to one get that approved and yeah as I'm thinking about it like if they can get the Mecca floor into working shape if they can get a bunch of the 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 players that made that that arena so special if they can get those people in man that to me that's just going to be a, a ticket an event that's going to be I feel like maybe the most difficult ticket of the year outside of maybe a a Warriors game or a Cavaliers game like that I feel like that's an automatic sellout and just a night that is going to be crazy and just an awesome celebration of the Bucks 50th anniversary well so and and just to be clear so the arena itself the original arena was finished in 1950 but then it became the Mecca as part of the Mecca complex in 1974. So just to be kind of clear on the the dates and all that. So, I mean, the arena is, itself is really old. And I think the only – I'm trying to think how many times I've been there. I saw the Globetrotters play there when I was a kid. Um, and it is an old arena. <laughs> arena right? It is. I don't, I don't know they've, they've invested money in it. Um, I, I played it was there in high school. Oh, really? Yep. Um, not on the Robert Indiana floor, I'm guessing. No. No, there's a different floor in there at that yeah. point. Um, but, uh, but it, it is interesting that, um, it has sort of evolved over time. I thought it was really interesting because the admirals are going to play there, um, from my understanding and they did um, this last year. Okay. They did this year as well. So it was interesting cause I mean, I don't know anything about really the admirals in, in general, but, um, it seemed like I, I saw some like random stuff retweeted and different things. I, apparently there's some like a bitterness and annoyance that the bucks would come back and play a game on the admirals new court because i think you know i don't know i think admirals fans are kind of feel like they were kicked out of the mm-hmm. process for the new arena um so this this announcement also led me to the, the weird sort of subculture of um walkie admiral stuff on twitter um but uh but yeah anyway it'll be interesting to see sort of how how they what it, what it looks like i mean I know there's been money invested into it um now now known as the uw panther uw and panther uw milwaukee panther arena not go. the uw not the UWM Panther Arena, the nope. UW Milwaukee Panther Arena. Um, so we'll be interested to see. And then, like I said, I, I certainly, as a as somebody who doesn't live in Milwaukee, I'd, I'd love to come back for it and just to see what the atmosphere might be like in a in a small gym um, relative to a, a place that, like the BC it would be fun. And probably the other big question for me is, you know, obviously we talked about the floor. Hopefully, it's the floor. Um, but jerseys, yeah, what Milwaukee Bucks jersey and tweet at us let us know tweet us a picture of the ones you want um let us know which jerseys you would want to see um well i don't know i'll kick it to you first which which uh of the bucks 
retro jerseys do you think the Bucks should wear when they play at the Mecca next season? Which which one is is most fitting for this event? Man, that's really tough. I uh, I would say the '80s Bucks jerseys. What, what is it? The siding called the Irish Rainbow. Irish Rainbow. Yeah. Um, I would say those jerseys just because. I was having this conversation with someone the other week. I forgot who, but those '80s Bucks teams were just so underappreciated because, well, they were in the Eastern Conference when Larry Bird was around, and they were in the Eastern Conference when the Sixers were also really good, and they they just never really could get past those Eastern Conference Finals, and they're just a team that's I guess destined to be forgotten, even though being one of the strongest franchises and teams in the in the 1980s in the entire league so um i say that give them the shout out i think we celebrate the the early 70s bucks enough so i'm gonna say the the 80s bucks i think you just made a good case and i think you know you could also do some cool stuff as far as just bringing back a lot of those players that um you know maybe go a little underappreciated or you know people are aware of them right but um but a lot of guys who, who maybe don't get quite the same recognition as uh as you know the cream and oscar teams you know bob dandridge got a lot of love the last year or two which was great to see um but it does feel like the that championship team did did get a lot of love i will say this purely from an aesthetic standpoint the bucks i don't know if you remember this but they did wear uh, as part of the hardcore throwback sort of series that they usually do most years um i, I forget what year it was maybe it was like 2010 or 2011 um it was one of the years when brandon jennings was around because they had uh throwback jerseys i think they were like the 70 71 the championship year jerseys and i have to say those really held up those looked really cool and i'll occasionally still see somebody wearing a, a throwback one of those and and those are those might be my favorite they're just so clean um those might be my favorite jerseys uh if you're going to do a throwback but i agree i think there would be something cool about um the bucks uh, also throwing some love to uh to the 80s uh jerseys and uh and and kind of maybe giving that that group a, a bit more recognition but but we'll see i mean it's the 50th anniversary um i'm sure they will be sending love to uh to bucks players and and teams from from all all through the years but uh but yeah we'll be interested to see what kind of determination is made there because I'm, tr- I'm trying to think i can't really remember them ever using like those 80s like all green and and white uh themed jerseys i can't really remember them doing any throwback stuff with with those jerseys um over the over the past you know decade or something like that we, we did see those uh the 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 third jerseys from what was the mid 90s that that got some some run a few mm-hmm. years ago but um i feel like the it's always the the early 70s or uh, or maybe those that that people talk about but we'll be interesting to see well, Frank, uh, we got through all of our administrative stuff, uh, all, all the different things that are going on that, I mean, they obviously affect the team, but aren't the discussion of the roster or their draft picks that they have to make um, in under two weeks, which, man, is crazy, or their off season, which will, I think, really get kicked off with the draft, but then even further intensify once free agency starts on July 1st. So, we have a lot more to talk about about that, and we'll do that in the next week. And uh, I, there's a lot there. <laughs> um, we participated in the weekend over uh, over the weekend. We participated in the NBA, the Locked On NBA mock draft, uh, where each of the Locked On hosts for each team got to 
draft for their team. Um, so that'll be coming out, I think, in maybe the end of the week, I think those start. Um, and we'll kind of lead everyone up to the draft uh, two weeks from now, 11 days from now. So that'll be coming out, and we'll have a lot more to talk about with the draft and the offseason and all of that. So uh, that's going to be it for us for today on Locked on Bucks. That was Frank Madden. I'm Eric Name. This has been Locked on Bucks, and we will talk to you later.